In Fergus North, we've started a sermon series on the life of Joseph, and I've chosen one of those sermons, the first one actually for this morning. That's Genesis 37, then that will be our reading and our text. The first book of the Bible then, Genesis chapter 37, hear the word of the Lord. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time... The sun, moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. 
So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. When they sat down to eat a meal, then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they set the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Let's sing after the sermon from hymn 41, 1, 2, and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what really makes the world go round? What charts history? What determines whether your life goes this way or that way? You might say sometimes it seems like money, you know, whether you're rich or poor. Or how about the desire for money? That often seems to be the cause of many wars. My family and I on our summer holidays down in the States, we learned that it was primarily money, first of all. Trade issues, that was the cause of the U.S. Civil War. Not so much the issue of slavery. These days you might think it's technology that is really forming the world. We make lots of things, but it seems like those things then make us. Our lives and our phones seem so intertwined, for better or for worse. There is something greater than all of that. Greater than money, greater than our tech. Far greater, and that's what we are confronted with in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the book that begins, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. It is a book full of the God who speaks, and his speaking so clearly shapes the world 
and shapes life. He speaks to Adam and Eve after their sin, curse, and blessing. He speaks to Noah, and the world is saved. He speaks to Abraham and makes promises to him, a covenant. Here in Genesis 37, we have a dream. And a dream very clearly given by God. And this dream will not just speak, but it will also shape. It does not just describe, but it will also determine the future of the family of Joseph. You know, if you were to read through Genesis from one angle, the family of Jacob, Joseph, seems like every other family in this fallen world. There's jealousy, favoritism, hatred, almost murder. Clearly, there's nothing special about them. But, but they are ones whom the Most High God has spoken over. The future of this family will be determined by the word of the Lord. Their future ruler has been fixed in the plans of the Lord. And that's also the context that we need to mention. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's also about the beginning of nations. If you were to read through Genesis, the chapter right before this, chapter 36, deals with the line of Esau and what happens to it. If you read that chapter, you'll find a lot about chiefs and kings. When as yet too, there is none in Israel. So if you're reading through Genesis, you would also have this question. What's going to happen with the family of Jacob? Will there be a ruler in Israel? What will he do? What will he be like? How will he get his position? And then we have Genesis 37, which tells us it will be very surprising. The path to the throne will begin in a pit. His own family will reject him. There will be an attempt to kill the dreamer and the dream. But all of this, even the jealousy and hatred of his own, are in the hands of the Lord to bring deliverance. So clearly, like the great king, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I put the word of God under this theme the Lord's promised servant begins his life in suffering. And we'll look first of all at the promise needed and secondly, the promise preserved. Now this chapter begins by telling us what life was like in Jacob's family. And specifically too, that Joseph was alienated from his brothers. Three things in particular were the reason for nothing less than hatred. At the beginning, we're told one day he brought a bad report about some of them. We're not told if this was a good thing or a bad thing for Joseph to do. You know, was he being a bit of a tattler? Sometimes younger brothers can be like that. Proverbs does tell us the one who denounces his neighbor lacks wisdom, but the one who has discernment keeps silent. Proverbs eleven twelve. But one commentator I read pointed out, you know, there may have been very good reasons for Joseph to reveal things to his dad about his brothers. You just don't know. 
It could be a sign of Joseph's sense of responsibility. I would encourage you as Bible study season begins again to remember this. Do not ask questions that the text is not given to answer. It's often very tempting to try to make moral lessons out of biblical characters, but you can find that very hard to do. And in fact, that is often besides the point. The point right now in this chapter is that the pot begins to boil in Jacob's family. A handful of Joseph's brothers begin to resent him. And then there's the second thing. Verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. I think I can see how this works. You're getting older. You begin to see how short life is. But then you become a father again. You're blessed with another little child. What a beautiful surprise. Talk about making you feel young again. Jacob also gives Joseph this special robe. There's a tradition, of course, and that's preserved here in your New King James, that it was a robe of many colors. That does go way back to the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But the Hebrew does not actually say many colors. It seems more probable that this was a robe that reached to his wrists and to his ankles, perhaps sewn of panels. At any rate, the point is this, however you translate it. It's not working man's clothes. In fact, verse 2, you could translate it as George Bush does, not George Bush the president, but an ancient, an older Bible commentator from the 1800s. Joseph was in charge of his brothers, not just feeding the flock with them. Jacob gave Joseph a special spot in the family. And all this led them to hate him. They could not speak peacefully with Joseph. They could not even say shalom, hi, to him. Then third, Joseph receives two special dreams. You will find that in the story of Joseph, there are often doubles. Two dreams means without a doubt this is certainly going to happen. Joseph relays these dreams rather exuberantly, rather foolishly. I would point out too, though, that talking about your dreams and their meaning could be a very normal thing. We do not know the tone that Joseph said this all in. Was he sort of arrogant and proud? Or was he really wrestling with their meaning? Humbly? Perhaps? At any rate, all of this leads to even more hatred. The name Joseph means add to. That's why he was called Joseph. The Lord had added to Jacob's family, added to their joy. But it's also true here. The brothers keep adding 
to their hatred of him. And it's the same Hebrew word in verse 5. There's a pun here. They Josephed their hatred of Joseph. The storm then that is brewing in this family seems pretty dark and very ominous. And we are told in verse 11 that his father kept the matter in mind. Father Jacob knows the ways of the Lord are often so different than we expect. He knows that God loves to take the weak and the younger and exalt them and use them as his servants. That it happened in his own life, of course. But the brothers are extremely jealous. It all seems a recipe for evil. Genesis, the story of the saints, has been filled with plenty of deception, pride, jealousy, hatred. Here the apple does not fall far from the tree. The question then, here in Genesis 37 and throughout the life of Joseph, is all that evil going to take control and determine the future of this family, break it apart and destroy the plans and people of the Lord? It almost seems to happen. We meet a family here in Genesis in great need. More than they realize. And if you then go through the life of Joseph, you will see the God of amazing grace. The God who will provide for this family and not just so that they are saved. Perhaps you know the story, right? In the end of a famine. No, this family is provided for. They might also be healed and restored in their souls. Well, that takes us to our second point. One day sometime later, Jacob needs Joseph the manager to see how his brothers are doing. Jacob sends them off to Shechem. It seems like such an unwise thing to do. Doesn't Father Jacob know what's simmering in his own family? We might today lament how fathers can be very obsessed with their work and blind to things in their families. It seems like that is nothing new. But look at verse 14 and following. We're given all these details that tell us to have a certain perspective. Joseph cannot find his brothers in Shechem. He just happens to stumble across a man wandering in the fields. Actually, we read, the man found Joseph. This particular man, too, has overheard the brothers saying, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph goes to Dothan. It all could have been so different. One commentator points out, who knows, if it had not happened just like this, with this delay too and everything, that maybe later on the Midianite Ishmaelite traders had not, they might not have arrived at just the right time. 
the path of redemptive history sometimes seems to be a bit chaotic. It seems to wander around a little bit, just like this man in the field. But the sovereign Lord is always leading it. Even if that path leads into a hurricane. Verse 18, now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Wow, this is even worse than Cain and Abel. Now it's a whole band of brothers wanting to murder one of their own. Here comes this dreamer, they say. Now you and I know, reading Scripture, this dream, everything depends upon it. If this dream does not come true, where Joseph gets a place in Egypt where he can be a blessing, the people of God may die of famine. The chosen line may come to an end. So these brothers plotting against the dreamer and his dream, we can see in them someone more sinister. Satan. Satan, who wants nothing but to end the plans of God and the people of God. This sad, satanic dynamic will be repeated and will grow in Scripture. Look at Moses. His own people are indifferent to him. He has to flee for his life. Look at the prophets so often persecuted. Jeremiah was thrown into a pit as well. And look at the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one in whom the hope of the nation, of the world is found. He also causes such ripples of intense envy and jealousy. It was bad enough that at his birth, King Herod wanted to put him to death. But the scribes and the Pharisees, his own people as a whole, hated him and shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. John 1 verse 1. In Matthew chapter 21, the Lord Jesus Christ tells a parable with almost exactly the same words that these brothers say here, come, let us kill him. It's a parable about himself. Let us kill the very Son of God. And let us tremble because that lives within us too. Would we ever be like these brothers? Maybe you think, no, I I like my brothers. I get along well with them. But let us confess that as sinners, we are no different than these brothers. 
as sinners. We want nothing to do with the dreams, with the Word of God. We want nothing to do with the one chosen by God who would rule over us for our good and our blessing. In ourselves, we too would want to get rid of the one, the only one in whom there is life and hope. The brothers hate the dreamer and the dream. This dream, see, it speaks of the the sovereign grace of the Lord. This dream means that God shows favor to whomever he wills. This dream means that those who are last shall be first, that God chooses the foolish to shame the wise. Will we receive that humbly and bow before the sovereign grace of our God? Or will we as sinners, will pride and jealousy cause us to rise up and be contrary to our God and his good pleasure? In the life of Joseph, we begin to see the path of the Messiah that he will be despised, rejected by his own. Yet even through this, the salvation of God will come. There will be a throne that is ascended by one from Israel, which will give life to those who need it. But there will be a path of suffering, even a path of death, to get to it. This betrayal, this deception, can you imagine what things are now like in the family of Jacob? Brother Joseph sold for 20 shekels. One commentator tells me that's the price of a disabled slave. Father Jacob deceived into thinking he's dead and refusing to be comforted. Can you imagine the darkness, the distance, the the rot that now has infected this family? And this is the family of faith. Day after day, they have to live with a terrible lie and try to smother its truth. But the chapter ends with verse 36. The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar. Certainly not a nice place to be. But yet we end, this chapter ends with hope because the dream and the dreamer are still alive. So now a few points in conclusion. What lessons are we to draw from this sad story? Well, first of all, this. We are to see the immense sovereignty of our God. That God is sovereign, not just over the good, but also the bad. God's redemptive path leads through some very tough terrain. But yet it still is his redemptive path. 
You know, when you see the birth of a new child, you can... I've met sometimes with unbelievers in hospitals, and they will confess, yes, there appears to be a God. But then there are tragedies and accidents. There are times when you might expect love, and instead there is terrible hatred. Then you wonder, where is God? How could a good God let all of this happen? Where is God? Genesis 37 tells you. He is there, right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of evil as well. Maybe you think God has nothing to do with it. Because all you can see is people being people. God has everything to do with it. You notice that God is not really mentioned at all in this chapter. But it's a little bit like with the book of Esther. Nothing here is happening without his will. Joseph can conclude in Genesis 50, 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. People might be putting God's, the Lord's loved ones, through troubles and trials. But through this, the Lord is leading his own to glory. And we see that sovereignty of God, of course, most clearly with the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, too, such hatred and murder, Satan being very busy. But God, his purposes of love and grace are being worked and will triumph. We might have all sorts of questions about why the Lord lets this or that happen to us. Well, let's read the Word of God. Let's put our questions away and simply submit and be humbled before our God and trust in His good purposes. And second, we can be a bit more specific here. We have this dream of Joseph. The brothers want to get rid of it, get rid of him, But in the end, that dream is preserved. It is a dream from God, after all. And what God says will stand. It may take time. There may be all sorts of ups and downs. But what God has said, what God has promised, will come to pass. It is the Word of God that charts the course of history. And that word he has spoken in the greatest way in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have a dream like Joseph? You have something even greater. Because you, in faith, can look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything that runs contrary to him and what God has spoken in him will come to nothing. It is just dust in the wind. But everything that is founded upon him, built upon him, will endure, even though the world and the prince of this world might rage against it. 
there is a dream even greater than that of Joseph's. It is the dream of filthy sinners like you and me. Going through, yes, trials and troubles in this dark and broken world, but somehow being clothed with dazzling robes of glory that we could never have in ourselves, being exalted one day. The dream of dead people being raised and transformed, ruling forevermore over a new creation. The dream of a multitude of brothers and sisters beholding the one brother who has gone ahead of them and gladly bowing before that brother because all jealousy has vanished because they know his glory is their glory and their glory is to know his glory. Let us rejoice. Nothing, not even the greatest of evils, out there or in here, can stand in the way of that dream. Amen.